0: The following is a class given by His Holiness Jaya Patakaswami Maharaj on October 15, 1982.
1: The class begins with a reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, 3rd Canto, chapter 15, verse 19. Although flowering plants like the mandara, kunda, kurabakha, utpala, champaka, arna, punaga, naga Ketana, bakula-lily and Farijata are all full of transcendental fragrance, they are still conscious of the austerities performed by tulasi. For tulasi is given special preference by the Lord who garlands himself with tulasi leaves. The importance of tulasi leaves is very clearly mentioned here. Tulisi plants and their leaves are very important in devotional service. Devotees are recommended to water the Tulisi tree every day and collect the leaves to worship the Lord. One time an atheistic Swami remarked, what is the use of watering the Tulisi plant? It is better to water eggplants. By watering the eggplant, one can get some fruits. But what is the use of watering the Tulasī? These foolish creatures, no, Prabhupāda doesn't say human being, all creatures. <laughs> Unacquainted with devotional service, sometimes play havoc with the education of people in general. The most important thing about the spiritual world is that there is no envy among the devotees there. This is true even among the flowers, which are all conscious of the greatness of Tulasi. In the Vaikuntha world entered by the four Kumaras, even the birds and flowers are conscious of service to the Lord. Thus, in the purport of text 19, chapter 15, canto 3, Bhakti vidanta purports of the Srimad Bhagavatam in the matter of the description of the Kingdom of God. So, we are all members of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. So that means we are to be conscious of krishna so in the spiritual world even the birds and the flowers are conscious of service to the lord you see but here in the society for krishna consciousness we must also be conscious of service to the lord this is actually the purpose for being here is to become conscious of serving the lord When even the plants and the flowers and the spiritual world are conscious, we can understand that this consciousness of Krishna is not something material. It is something completely spiritual. And it is something which we must achieve if we want to actually get to Krishna. If we want to actually become situated in our original natural condition of eternal happiness and bliss. Excuse me, eternal knowledge and bliss. So, I remember, so many times, Srila he was instructing different devotees on practical aspects of Krishna consciousness. And simply due to being unconscious, due to not being conscious of service to Krishna, they would uh, mess up the service they would make it a uh, complete failure. So, we can understand that the activities that a devotee does during the day, whether it's sweeping the floor, or whether it's uh, cooking, or whether it's preaching, is not to be done just mechanically. But it's supposed to be done with full consciousness of the service to the Lord. When we're sweeping, we're thinking, How to do our service properly. How to get every last piece of dirt because we want to please the Lord. Not that we're, oh, this service is not important, let me just do this service very quickly and, uh, we're thinking of something else. No. Everything we're doing, we should be fully conscious of the service to Krishna. How we are directly trying to please Guru and Krishna. The plants here they are conscious, oh that Tulasi Devi is a greater devotee. She's got more favor from Krishna. You see, in material world, if someone is greater, then everyone wants to reduce that person's power. Wants to pull him down. You see. This is the nature of the material world. Nobody can tolerate someone being greater, but in the spiritual world there's not a tinge of envy. They're conscious that, oh, Tulasi Devi has done greater austerity. She has greater qualities. Therefore, the Lord is preferring her. They're not envious. They're trying to do their service to Krishna. If someone is doing better, they're learning from that. Similarly, in the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, the only way that we can achieve full success is by also completely eradicating every last tinge of envy from the society. Because envy is something which does not exist in the spiritual world. So therefore, in a spiritual society, there must also be no envy. Envy taking shape any form of intolerance about another devotee achieving some more recognition or better type of uh, ability to serve is not to be the cause of envy. Rather, it should be the cause of admiration or the cause of so many favorable sentiments. Envy is something which is completely uh, the uh, opposite of all spiritual sentiments. Just like you can engage everything calm. Lust, you can engage in the service of Krishna. Crowd, greed. Sometimes people are very greedy to get all type of things for Krishna's service. Uh, calm, crowed, low. crow rather, is the anger. Sometimes, uh, Hanuman was angry to see Sita was being offended. You see. Sometimes, even in Dwarka, there's some anger. Satyabhava became angry. But that was, uh, How to satisfy the Lord better. So, in this way, there are different uh, moods in devotional service. But, and they can all be engaged in the service of the Lord. But this particular thing, envy, to bring the other person down, that is not a desire. Because, that, uh, how will that please Krishna? Rather, how to Please Krishna more through service, that is the practical idea. If someone is able to please Krishna more, you know that uh, Krishna appreciates anyone who appreciates his devotee. So by appreciating that devotee, you're serving Krishna. How is it a service to envy someone? So here we see that uh, the most important thing about the spiritual world is that there is no envy among the devotees there. Right from the flowers. Up to the very uh, gopis and other devotees. Even Radharani, we can understand that she is very eager to serve Krishna. Even she will bring any other uh, gopi to Krishna. She's not uh, anxious to only take Krishna for herself. Whatever will please Krishna more. Anyway, these topics are very exalted topics, but we should understand that in the spiritual world there is nothing to do with the material viewpoint. Material viewpoint is something altogether different. There one is conscious of the bodily needs, one is conscious of the mental needs, one is conscious of everything except for serving Krishna. Bhakti Siddhanta the Sarasati Thakur said that in this material world there is nothing missing. Everything is there for our sense gratification. You see, what the real thing that's missing is service to Krishna. So when people are conscious that yes, I should serve Krishna. If you say serve Krishna, the atheists say, Why serve Krishna? Who is Krishna? How do I know there's Krishna? Why should I serve Krishna? What do I get out of service? There's so many questions they'll bring up. Because they don't have any understanding of who they are, they have no understanding who is Krishna, they have no consciousness about this importance and the necessity of serving Krishna. That's why they're rascals. you see that's why they are most unfortunate. So this human society is being misdirected by such so-called by such rascals in the dress of uh, of saintly people just to destroy any consciousness they have of service to Krishna and the devotees what they institute immediately is consciousness of service to Krishna. Everyone should be conscious that we should serve Krishna. Because this consciousness of serving Krishna is so powerful. Even in contemporary religions, the consciousness of serving God is not so strong as the consciousness of God supplying the needs to us. O oh, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we want. Or like in Durga Puja, dhanam, deya, Pratista, deya, siyam, deya, Puja, deya, give me money, give me wealth, give me power, give me beauty, give me, give... The consciousness is give me, serve me God, serve me God, serve me with this, serve me with that, serve me with this, serve me with that. You see, we want God to serve us. That's ordinary religions. But here, this Bhagavatam is a completely different creation. Here the jiva understands <coughs> I in Vitya Krishna Das. Jiva Salu Poi Krishna Das. I am the eternal servant of Krishna. Gopibharja Pada Kamala dāsa Nudasa and to serve Krishna that is the culmination. That is the apex of spiritual realization. This is what we should be hankering for. To simply serve Krishna. Because serving Krishna itself is the most intimate and the most confidential realization, which includes everything else. If you serve Krishna, you're so close to Krishna that you can see everything from the highest transcendental viewpoint. You, see, you want to see what's going on in the kingdom. No one knows better, you see. then. Of all the background uh, things that are controlling the kingdom, then the king himself. Because he's got his spies, he's got his intelligence going, in uh, the common man, he's got his people in the government, he's got people everywhere. His management ability, if he's, uh, if he's a well-placed king, is going to be uh, all-pervasive. So anyone close to him also will have a very good perspective on what is actually happening. <laughs> And everyone knows that that's the most powerful position. So similarly, to be the servant of Krishna, that is the most exalted position, is not an ordinary thing. So anyone who is intelligent, they know there's no use in envying the trusted person of the Lord. Because if you do that simply, it means that you are untrustworthy. You are not qualified to come into the intimate circle. That means you must have some ulterior motive. Because a truly trusted person is only going to act on the interest of the Lord, and you want some other interest, therefore you are you are angry at him. If your interest is also the Lord, you are very happy that oh, such a good person is serving the Lord. Now finally, uh, some uh, nice service can be done to the Lord because interest is one. Therefore, you also become admitted. All right, you are also in the intimate circle. So this service to Krishna is actually the most confidential secret. It's not even revealed. In most of the religions of the world it's only hinted at that we should love God. What does love mean? To render Him service, you see. Rendering service is so important. So what service we can offer God? what service we can offer. Of course, he has everything, but he's so kind that although he has everything, he accepts even a simple offering from his devotee. We can begin by offering a tulsi leaf in a glass of water. Uh, patram, Pushpa. the patram means what, that's it. the leaf, the leaf is tulsi leaf,
0: uh,
1: toyam, you offer tulsi leaf in water. And the Lord, He will accept that. Patam palam to yam. These simple things, the first thing, patam, that leave, that's a tulsi. If we offer that to Krishna, we can please Him if we offer with devotion. That's Krishna's magnanimity, that's His greatness. And although He's in the most exalted position, He has nothing to fear. He cannot be impeached, He cannot be dethroned, He cannot be in any way uh, challenged. If someone wants to oppose him, he just puts him in the material world and lets him fight with his material energy. There's no, there's no problem for him, you see. He could stay aloof. He is aloof. At the same time, he, uh, not in a condescending mood, but in a mood of uh, love and reciprocation, he agrees to accept the offering of his devotees. See, that's what Krishna is so wonderful. When one hears about the wonderful qualities of Krishna, then naturally one wants to serve such a great person. Everyone wants to serve such a great person, except for the demons and atheists and the envious people who want themselves to be glorified and want to serve themselves, and who have all type of misconceptions about the truth. So, therefore, we preach. Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, we educate the people what are the, what is real knowledge, because if they actually understand who they are, if they have real knowledge, then they can give up this false position, they can give up their envious position. So, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has given us a simple process of serving, beginning from chanting and hearing. The chanting and hearing, by chanting the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Krishna, Krishna Hare Hare, Hare Rama Rama Hare Hare, 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 Hare Hare, to develop, Hare Krishna, to develop our spontaneous awakening into Krishna consciousness. Here we see that in the spiritual world, everyone is already awakened. That even the flowers, they are conscious. The birds are conscious. Everyone is conscious. In the material world, everyone is unconscious of their relationship with the Lord. They are very conscious about, or maybe depending on their guns or qualities of nature, they are relatively more conscious or less conscious. And their consciousness is diverted either in mode of goodness to helping others to magnanimity, peace, truthfulness, cleanliness. They are very conscious of being clean. They may be very conscious of telling the truth. They may be very conscious of being religious. They may be very conscious of things like that. It's all in the mode of goodness. Then the person the mode of passion is very conscious of getting his profit, very conscious of getting the pleasure and the things that he wants, that the person wants out of every situation, out of accumulating more and more, out of defeating any enemies. These are all in the mode of passion. In the mode of ignorance. There, one is uh, very unconscious, you see. Or the consciousness is diverted into uh, frivolous things, into uh, into, uh, intoxication, into uh, sleep, into uh, madness, you see. But even in all these three, of these three naturally the mode of goodness is uh, more elevated. But even there, it's not that necessarily there is consciousness of service to the Lord. That is why even the material mode of goodness is not good enough to take one to the spiritual world. Therefore, whether one is relatively good, passionate or ignorant, the necessity of awakening the original consciousness of our relationship with the Lord, of our service with the Lord, is essential. So because Lord Chaitanya's movement is purely on this transcendental platform, therefore he can awaken anyone, whether they are in a mode of goodness, passion or ignorance. Normal Varnashram understanding, this uh, Hindu understanding, th- because they don't know about this service to the Lord. They are not conscious. Therefore they think that, well, whatever quality a person is born in, because they see that it normally stays the same, see that's a fixed thing. They have this very rigid conception of the caste system. Of course, even in material life, it is seen that uh, some uh, katria, some kingly people like uh, Viswamitra, he was born as a as an administrator. He was born as a, in a, in the caste. Of katriyas. Katriya means the warrior caste. But he wanted to become a brahmana, he wanted to become a sage, a rishi. So he did great tapasya. And by doing tapasya, he was gradually elevated up to the platform of being a brahmana. Then he became from a brahmana, he became a rishi. Then he became a Maharishi. Then he became a brahma-rishi. So finally when he achieved that stage of Brahmharishi. And he was able to control matter with his mystic powers. He was able to do amazing things. He had uh, previous uh, birth recollection. He could see the, the future. So many things he achieved by being a Brahmarishi. He could travel to different planets. He could create things. He had all the mystic powers. At that time, Vishishta, who was the guru of Ramachandra, who was right from the beginning, he was born a Brahmana, and there was always some. He was a Brahmarishi. There before that there was some rivalry because Visamitra always wanted to prove himself that he was as good as Vishishtha, but he had never come up to that level of being a Brahma Rishi. He was always on the lower stage. So finally, when he got the blessing from Brahma to become a Brahma then Vishishtha congratulated him and said, Yes, all right, so you're a Brahma but this is not the top. So, what? A Brahma and the top is not. I also Brahmarishi, I know. Now you have finally become a Brahmarishi. I can see that you have achieved that level of consciousness. You have achieved that power. But we are not the top level. Top far far, far greater than us are the pure servitors of the Lord, of Vishnu, of Krishna. Because even we have Brahmarishi still our power is within this material world and their power goes beyond into the spiritual domain. Vishwamitra was, he was taken ab- aback by that. He didn't understand how it's, I'd worked all along to become a brahma Now there's something greater than that. You see, that's also mentioned that when one achieves even the Brahman realization, from there you can go into spiritual, into actual pure devotional service. brahma bhuta prasana atmana sau citi nakamsite bhuteshu after realizing Brahman, then it's possible for them to go into pure devotional service. See, so normally, a person would go through all the different yogas, would achieve full realization, become completely freed from all sinful reactions, become elevated to the (coughs) spiritual platform, and then from that platform could enter actually to serve the Lord. Because how can one serve the Lord unless one is completely pure? So this, is the special facility that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is is given and that Krishna himself gave to some extent when he was there, that if one directly surrenders to the Lord, even though one hasn't gone through all of those other step-by-step-by-step-by-step austerities and penances to come up to the level of uh, liberation, that simply by surrendering unto the Lord, one can achieve that uh, level of devotional service and if surrendering unto the lord is difficult that lord chaitanya has made very easy that even without surrendering if you chant Hare krishna because krishna's name is so sweet as i mentioned yesterday that one gradually develops a taste for that chanting starts to relish it and by relishing krishna the desire to go to krishna and to serve krishna uh, finds its place in the heart It's already there in the heart, it's uncovered, and then it's very easy for one to come up to that perfectional platform. So, in the spiritual world, everyone is conscious of their service to the Lord, and in the material world, we lack that consciousness. So the uncovering of that original consciousness where we see that uh, the perfection of life is to be in the service of the Lord, that has to be awakened. In the Vaikuntha Lokas, there, this taste for serving the Lord is so strong. Not only amongst the flowers, and amongst the bees, and amongst birds, and amongst all the other residents. Even there, the uh, humans, those that are human, no one is a human, per se, but those having the the human-like form, the original form from which the human being form are made, The residents of the Vaikuntha Lokas, even they're there, husband and wife are together. Even they're uh, engaging in uh, their service to Krishna is so relishable. The service to Narayana is so uh, ecstatic that even there there's hugging or kissing that the desire to have uh, sex never even comes in the heart. They're already so satisfied that that desire is not at all existent and all the Concomitant uh, difficulties that come from what we see in the material world is the gross sex life. That is not even there. Therefore, there's no need for birth, and there's no material sex. That means there's no birth. And no birth means there's no death. Everyone is existing eternally in transcendental full knowledge and bliss. So, of course, these things are very difficult for understanding. But everything is there in the spiritual world. But it's there in a perfect form. So for the purpose of creating a material world so that those souls who are fallen from the spiritual world, so so many facilities have been given to ensure that uh, there is uh, future generations, so more souls that are coming can get a place to ensure that uh, things are maintained. Just like for eating, if we didn't food didn't taste good, why would we eat? Poison, generally speaking, doesn't taste good. Things that are rotten, bad, they don't taste good. Things that are very juicy, very healthy for us, they taste good. So, in this way, we uh, eat because maybe an ordinary person will eat because it <coughs> tastes good. But actually we need to eat for our body. It's essential. So it just happens that nature Krishna has arranged things so nicely that good things also taste good. Ordinary people, they'll eat because it gives sense, kind of, but that also maintains the body, otherwise how people will uh, maintain. When we feel pain, just like we cut ourselves, it hurts. If we didn't feel that pain, then just like there's a certain uh, bleeders, what do they call them, blue bloods or something? Haemophilia. Haemophilia. They cut themselves, they don't know it. They'll be walking along, they'll be bleeding to death. they don't feel pain. Their nervous system has that defect. So when they cut themselves, if they don't see, if someone doesn't tell them, or they don't see the actual blood coming, they can just die just by, uh, by bleeding. They won't know. So that it's essential that we also feel pain. If we don't feel pain, how will we know that uh, something is uh, amiss in our body? Just like the uh, big jumbo jets, when they're taking off, they have all so many emergency systems. Little lights go on and off, and then if something, you're uh, just, we we were going to take off, and uh, the plane took off, and then uh, the pilot uh, was told that your cargo door is open. So then they had to dump all of the fuel, and then again circle around and land, because the cargo door was open, they couldn't go across the Atlantic. Because one little switch in the plane didn't record. It didn't work. It became defective. So, like that, in our body we have so many psychic, so many mental, so many physical uh, warning systems. And uh, if we're conscious of those, the best warning system is ultimately the super soul in our heart. He tells us. That's known to sometimes is called as the conscience. Tells us when we should do something. He tells us when we shouldn't do something. But we're not tuned. Into the super soul and conditional life. So, even though he may tell us that do this, don't do is for your welfare, we'll do it anyway, against advice. So, we won't do it, even though we're advised to, due to laziness, due to lethargy, due to attachment. So, that's why in material life, one has to have a spiritual master. Because by the guidance of a spiritual master, he is reconfirming what we're already hearing from within. When one first hears from a spiritual master, it won't be that what he's speaking is completely new, but it'll be almost as if we've heard these things, or if it's some type of intrinsic truth that we can understand very easily, and we get even a confirmation from inside that yes, this this makes sense, you see. because the super soul and the guru, the spiritual master, are not different The super soul is working from within as Chaitya Guru or as the the guru of the uh, conscience, of the consciousness. And the spiritual mass is working from outside to give external guidance. So the two are to be considered as one. Although, of course, the guru is in the mood as servant of Krishna, and in fact he is a servant of Krishna, but for the disciple they see that directly Krishna is helping me in the form of guru. So from within and without, then the... the, uh, the candidate for liberation is guided until full consciousness of service of Krishna is developed. At that time, then the relationship with the spiritual master is there, but then it becomes much more on a friendly level. Well, before that, it is more on a formal service, reverential level. In the spiritual sky, then even the spiritual master is uh, introducing one into the direct services of Krishna which are not possible until one is completely free from all material conceptions. So here, the four kumaras, they are already Brahma-realized. They've already realized the uh, absolute truth in the impersonal form. This is beyond the uh, conception of nirvana. This is going that they can see their soul and they can see the the spiritual light of which the soul is a part, but they have no direct realization of Krishna yet. So they had the desire to go and see the Vaikuntha world. So they went from the light and they went to the Vaikuntha planet. And now they're going into the Vaikuntha planet and this is what they're seeing. They're seeing that even the flowers, they're all conscious, that they're conscious entities, the flowers, they're seeing how the flowers are conscious. And they can see that how the flowers themselves are respecting the Tulsi plant as the more elevated amongst them. And that how they're engaging in service. They're seeing that the king of bees hums in a high pitch. They sing the glories of the Lord. And there is a temporary lull in the noise of the pigeon, the cuckoo, the crane, the chakravaka, the swan, the parrot, the partridge, and the peacock. Such transform of birds stop their own singing simply to hear the glories of the Lord. While one's singing, the others stop to listen. Oh, what is that bird's glorification? In other words, here maybe the birds are just singing some song, but there the birds, they know the language. They're actually singing the glories of the Lord. And so if one, here again, there's no envy. One bird is singing, alright, others will listen. Then when he stops, the <laughs> other ones, all singing the glories of the Lord. These are the descriptions. When the the Kumaras came for the first time into the Vaikuntha planets, they were seen. In the Vaikuntha planets, the inhabitants fly in their airplanes, accompanied by their wives and consorts, and eternally sing of the character and activities of the Lord, which are always devoid of all inauspicious qualities, while singing the glories of the Lord, They deride even the presence of the blossoming Mahavi flowers which are fragrant and laden with honey. Vaimanika, flying in the airplanes. So, this is Sanskrit. Vaimanika is written over 5,000 years ago. It's not uh, science fiction. Maybe they thought that, uh, who was it, Frank Lloyd Wright or whoever was the first one to invent or fly or someone. Who was the first one in invent? Orville. Right. Orville Wright. The Frank Boyd Wright is the one that flew across. Arch- no,
0: Frank Boyd Wright the architect in Wisconsin.
1: Oh. Who's the one that flew across? Lindbergh. Frank Boyd Wright is the architect. <laughs> so, uh, Orville Wright. Right. The first one to invent the airplane. But actually, the uh, airplane had existed even in the... Uh, eternally, it's in the spiritual planets. People fly around in airplanes even in the higher planets. It's just that here, of course, now even have at airplanes that run on petroleum and liquefied hydrogen and things like that, there they're different type of airplanes, but nonetheless they're airplanes. So it appears from this verse, Prabhupada, that the Vaikuntha planets are full of all opulences. There are airplanes in which the inhabitants travel in the spiritual sky with their sweethearts. There is a breeze clear carrying the fragrance of blossoming flowers. And this breeze is so nice that it also carries the honey of the flowers. The inhabitants of Vaikuntha are so interested in glorifying the Lord that they do not like the disturbance of such a nice breeze while they are chanting the Lord's glories. In other words, they are pure devotees. They consider glorification of the Lord more important than their own sense gratification. In the Vaikuntha planet, there is no question of sense gratification. To smell the fragrance of a blossoming flower is certainly very nice. But it is simply for sense gratification. The inhabitants of Vaikuntha give first preference to the service of the Lord, not their own sense gratification. Serving the Lord in transcendental love yields such transcendental pleasure that, in comparison, sense gratification is counted as insignificant." So there are many descriptions of great souls who are left in the material world. Four kumaras were born in the material world. They left the material world. They saw the higher planetary system. They saw the the uh, the impersonal Brahman. They went into the spiritual world, and these descriptions have been recorded here. The uh, four kumaras have a whole disciplic succession of who uh, they they came and back, and they initiated gurus and they described these things, and uh, these descriptions are also. Of different uh, spiritual masters, different uh, who have achieved these realizations, and they've been handed down. And of course, one may be able to say, "Well, how do I know that it's like this?" Or may just want to doubt. Of course, there's no way that anyone's going to be able to say what is beyond this universe. You can't even say what's really on the on the Pluto or on Uranium or some of the other Uranus or whatever the other planets are in the universe. One can't even say what's on them. The material scientists are still trying to figure out what's on Jupiter. What's on... uh, Jupiter has all the rings? Saturn. Saturn has the rings. They don't know exactly what the rings are made out of. Now, they've been hearing from Saturn. They've been hearing music. (laughs) And they don't know really what's going on. They say that it's definitely music. You can see that it has a very modulated, uh, definite, repeating type of uh, frequencies, and uh, it appears to be music or some kind of, like, that vibration. And, of course, they don't know exactly what it is. you know, Because they're all trying to figure it out from the telescopes and by sending probe satellites and things like that, it's practically impossible really to get any clear kind of understanding. So, the mystic yogis, they would go... In their spiritual form, in their spiritual bodies, and they would see not only this universe but what's beyond. So obviously there's no other way of knowing what's beyond. At least they have been so kind to come back and explain the basic step-by-step process that one can achieve realization of the spiritual body. And so although you may not be able to immediately say yes or no to what they describe as the ultimate realization, but they're taking us from point A, from the very groundwork, so we can know that. Well, they describe it. You go from here, you go, you do this, and you get up to the next step. So one does that much. One can do like you chant Hare Krishna. First of all, you associate with devotees. You chant Hare Krishna. You uh, then you will come up to the next level where you'll become, start to become purified from so many material agitations and desires, and you'll become gradually more fixed. You will become more. Uh, you develop a certain stage of steadiness. And uh, so then a person is going on from there. This is the next stage you develop a type of ecstasy, a taste. Sure enough, that yeah. comes. Then one goes and you become very attached. And then the attachment brings another form of uh, transcendental pleasure with it, of having some feeling of very great intimacy with the Lord. And then in every state it tells one from the external point, from the sideline point, from the personal ex- experiences one will feel, as well as from subtle, subtle symptoms, how the mind will gradually change, how a person in advanced devotional service doesn't waste any time, how is always engaged in devotional service, how you can see that how the identification with Krishna becomes more and more strong. All these things are very nicely documented. You see. So ultimately. If one follows the process, the road is already uh, roadmarked. The signs are already there. Someone who's never gone, just like Columbus, he told everyone, I went over to America and this is what I saw. So oh, How would, how would, no? I mean, we don't believe you. We didn't see it, you know. So then he went back again, brought over a plant or something. He said, Look at that. This is not from here. So similarly, they have been brought back much greater than bringing back uh, anything else. What they have brought back from the spiritual world is the spiritual ecstasy. As soon as one tastes even a drop of that ecstasy, immediately one knows that this is not from this world. This is out of this world. This is something completely different. And so as soon as you taste even one drop of that spiritual ecstasy, then one can understand that actually this whole uh, understanding, this whole thing which is being given in the Krishna conscious movement is not from this world actually... These great spiritual masters have crossed beyond the material world, have gone to the ultimate planet, and they have brought back that which is not available in this material world. So that is the simple understanding. So, even if a person just makes a little advancement in Krishna consciousness in this life, whether we're able to at once achieve this spiritual plan, even if we make a little advancement, that guarantees us uh, for future progress, and that saves us from so many great dangers, just like we were praying this morning, that just by taking the water that is uh, used to bathe Krishna, that this protects one from dying untimely, or call to harm them, that it protects one from all type of um, diseases, things like that. So even uh, from the uh, material standpoint, even if a person doesn't go up to the platform of spiritual realization in in this particular lifetime, still, there are so many unlimited uh, side benefits, which of course, those side benefits are so important for the materialist that they've forgotten about the ultimate benefit. In the whole Vedic culture, the, the scriptures always tell what is the ultimate benefit, but then because people don't generally relate with that, they give all the side benefits. That if you read the Bhagavatam, you in the future birth you can get thousands of cows, or you can become a great king, or you can attempt to go to the heavenly planets, so you can get this thing or that. And so, as the people became more and more materialistic, now they they don't they don't not even thinking what's the ultimate objective. They're just thinking you read the Bhagavatam so you get a good wife, or you get a good husband, and so you can get long life, or you can have. They just because they just seeing that those things are not the main thing; those are side benefits. In fact. Those are not even uh, mentioned in the Bhagavatam, they're mentioned generally in the other lower level scriptures, although some reference is sometimes given in the Bhagavatam. But they're not stressed to that extent, because the Bhagavatam is uh, directly trying to take one to the ultimate objective. But there are countless side benefits which one automatically gets. So even if one doesn't complete in this life, there's no loss. In fact, uh, there are so many side benefits. And moreover, what it does is it just sets one up so that in the next life one can take off from where you left and again further progress. Whatever material desires are there, you get more facility to finish those. Because two ways are going to help one to get to Krishna quickly. One is to have all the desires satisfied. Of course, one after another, desires are coming. But as one becomes more and more spiritually advanced, then... The new desires are not coming as frequently. You see, one is already partially desiring Krishna and partially there's so many already accumulated desires which one is not ready to give up yet. So as those accumulated desires, one achieves them and realizes, oh, this wasn't what I wanted. That isn't what I wanted. This wasn't what I wanted. Then more and more, one is able to finally put a little more energy into Krishna. So maybe Krishna is really what I do want. Then one, no, let me try this. Then again they try that. They get that, well, that wasn't exactly, maybe Krishna, a little more service to Krishna along the way. And then gradually, this is a very slow process, because still one is trying to enjoy the material world because of attachment. But even just by having association with Krishna, one is uh, protected in so many ways. And ultimately one can achieve the position when, because Krishna won't force himself on anyone. You see, the devotees, we're maybe the more obnoxious. We force ourselves. But Krishna is not like that. He doesn't force himself on anyone. He, uh, will only accept one back into his own association when they want to really come, when they don't have any other desire. He'll give them every other thing first. And then when you don't want anything else, because once you have Krishna, then there's nothing else. When you realize Krishna, you realize that everything is within Krishna. So, then there's no possibility of dual vision, of that type of duality, of something that's completely separate uh, from a relation with Krishna. So, it's either everything is related with Krishna in service, and anything which is out of the service of Krishna, then you have to be in material consciousness. Anyway, that's a subtle point. But, uh, one way or another, Krishna, he allows one any other desire first. Although flowering, unless one gets special mercy. Or unless one has a desire that, Krishna, you please, whether I have another desire or not, somehow or another you simply drag me to you. Unless one somehow or another emits that type of... Uh, many devotees of Lord Chaitanya pray like that, that even though I am so fallen, you please just drag me, you just give me your mercy it will take me a long time to get rid of everything, you just flood me with the ecstasy of uh, pure transcendence, and then automatically I'll become immune from all these lower attractions. So that is the special rapid uh, mercy that Lord Chaitanya and Nityananda give, that they give immediately that uh, nectar from the spiritual world, which is so attractive that if one even tastes a little drop of it, then immediately the whole perspective of life changes. And one becomes immunized from so many material attachments, from so many material problems. And uh, the more that one is able to relish that transcendental happiness, absorbed in a spiritual ecstasy, and achieves full Krishna consciousness. Hare Krishna. Are there any questions? Yes? What is the difference between the Maya
0: body and Brahma body? Which is the Kumarath and the, Kumara and the
1: the four Kumaras have already realized the Brahman. The Mayavadis may, they have not realized the Brahman, but they're speculating at what Brahman is, what Maya is. They want to become Brahmaavadis. But in doing so, they, they make so many misconceptions. The four Kumaras had no preconceived conception. Even like uh, Buddha, he never said, Well, there's no God. He says, well, why do you bring up this thing? I know what I know, and uh, so says, that's enough. No need to ask about more. Just avoided the whole subject, so the four kumaras, they're not offensive. He says, my bodies, they not only want to realize Brahman, but they're actually against Krishna. Four kumaras are not against Krishna. They were just not at all, wasn't something they really were concerned with. They were concerned with Brahman. They didn't understand Krishna, then it wasn't something that was, how do say, a preoccupation with them. They weren't all oh, preoccupied. They were preoccupied with Brahma. Just like there are many people in the material world who are preoccupied with uh, material life. They're not against Krishna, they're just preoccupied with material life.
0: Can we can
1: we offer Tulsi directly to Guru? Can we offer to or can we offer the Guru turning to the deity of Krishna? Of course, things you offer to the Guru if you understand that he's going to offer them to Krishna. As far as someone offers to Guru that he is actually the external manifestation of Krishna. But uh, when we worship we put the Tulsi in the hand or the head of the Guru and at the feet of Krishna.
0: Um, what about the service, uh, devotional service, Shravanam Kirtanam? Like hearing. You, when you, you mentioned service and immediately stated the instance of offering something like water with the tulsi to Krishna, but what about just hearing about Krishna? Is that enough service? Is that itself enough to That's enough for a prediction. That's enough.
1: If you just hear it, don't do anything other nonsense and don'ting. Just hearing enough, you know, just like all he did was hear. Nonstop, he heard for seven days, and then he left his body. for some.
0: That seems to be an easy service anyone could engage in, no, and yeah. He didn't
1: eat or drink. He just served. He just heard. How are you feeling?
0: Okay. Let's
1: go on. Any questions today? Uh yes, I do. Uh,
0: yesterday you mentioned offenses while chanting. Can you
1: explain? There are ten different offenses to the holy name. You wanted to know each of the offenses. I can say a short, but uh, basically the ten offenses to the Holy Name. The first one is to offend any devotee. That means to blaspheme or cause some physical harm to a devotee or a pure Vaishnava who has dedicated uh, his life for the preaching of the glories of the Holy Name. that, that That person is very dear to the Holy name. So, an offense to that person would be an offense to the holy name. Then, the second offense is uh, to consider chanting any other name of some demigod, like Shiva or Brahma or Durga or Indra or something, to be at an equal level as Vishnu or Krishna's name. When chanting a name of a demigod, that may be there are certain mantras are there for chanting the names of demigods. And you'll get some material benefit from that. Even mystic powers may be achieved by certain demigods. But uh, even Lord Shiva himself says no one else can give for liberation except for Vishnu. So if one considers that another name is equal with Vishnu's name, that's a a second offense. Third offense is to disobey the order of uh, the spiritual master. If the spiritual master gives one a, an order or one doesn't follow that, that's an offense. The fourth offense is to blaspheme any scriptures or literatures which uh, glorify the Holy Name or expound the glories of the Holy Name. Uh, one shouldn't disrespect those. The fifth is to give some kind of uh, mental, uh, some concocted uh, meaning to the chanting, that uh, there are descriptions of the chanting, what is the chanting, but just like like Alan Ginsberg, he was saying that, well, this chanting, by chanting it seems to regulate the breath, so it's actually a form of pranayama or something, it was completely just a speculation. So that's like the fifth offense, is to try to put your own idea, Rather than just take whatever the authorized version is. The sixth offense is to uh, imagine to think that the glories of the Holy Name. I might get fifth and sixth, I get backwards sometimes. Sorry. I I don't know if I did that this time or not. But the uh, the sixth, they're both very close. The sixth uh, is to uh, consider the glories of the Holy Name as an imagination. In other words, there's so many glories of the Holy Name, and if someone thinks, of, That's, I mean, that, how is that possible? Something like that. That's uh, one type of offense. Then uh, the seventh is uh, offense is to sin on the strength of chanting. You see the offense and sin are two different things sin just means bad karma in other words everything we do there's a reaction in the material world so those uh reactions if we take the responsibility then there's you know that's the freedom we're given that we can act in the material world and uh, we can do pious activity and get pious reactions or we can do uh, a uh, well, sinful activity or activity which harms others or which hurts our body, and then we have to accept the pain or suffering which is going to come from that. Now, when someone understands that by chanting, I can get rid of, uh, I can neutralize the effect of karma, it's one of the secrets of chanting. So then, if a person makes like a, a, a conscious plot that I, well, it's alright for me to do this. And then I'll chant hare Krishna, and then I won't have to suffer for it. Then That's an offense because Krishna's name and Krishna not different. He's uh, intelligent, so uh, most intelligent. So obviously he's not going to be so foolish that uh, a person can do that. If one one may do uh, some activity within the field of karma and still chant Hare Krishna, that's not that's not the same. That's not that offense. The uh, conscious uh, idea to kind of exploit chanting is uh, considered offensive. If one still takes responsibility for what one does, not asking that, well, by chanting I'll just by chanting that somehow or another I can come above all the karma. I mean, that's not offensive. That's sincere. Eighth offense is to consider the chanting of Hare Krishna as equal with a pious activity. Just like uh, mm-hmm. the Buddhists, they're trying to always accrue kara merit, means good karma. They feed the monks, they do so many pious uh, works to to get merit or to get punya, as they would say in the Sanskrit, to get good karma. So someone thinks that well chanting Hare Krishna is uh, another form of good karma. That's an offense because chanting Hare Krishna is um, far beyond good or bad karma. It's actually uh, a complete spiritual vibration, which uh, can not only uh, give good karma, but it can do a lot more than that. So it's it's like an understatement. It's like
0: uh,
1: if. Uh, If you there was a very a great person like if you called a king that well you're one of the nicest ministers ever or something be like the greatest offense I mean it's am just so then uh, the uh, that's not the greatest offense the great worst offenses of the of all that so far I've mentioned are uh, the to offend a devotee who's dedicated his life to to uh, preaching and to sin on the strength of chanting, these two are, are, very, uh, are very serious. The first one is the most serious. And of course the greatest devotee is the Guru, so if one of them is the Guru, that's of course then a very good thing. So the Guru is two different offenses. So then uh, the ninth offense is to preach to the, uh, to the unfaithful, they say the glories of the holy name. That two of the offenses here were mentioned were about if one doubts the uh, description of the holy name, or if one sins on the strength of chanting, things like that. So that if one is, uh, who doesn't have really any faith in Krishna, is explained too much about the holy name, then sometimes they may prematurely say, uh, because they haven't really come up to that level of philosophical or spiritual realization. They may commit that one offense, Then, well, how can that be possible? In this sense, the preacher is a little bit responsible for having told that person who wasn't really ready to hear all the esoteric understandings about the Holy Name. That risk preachers take all the time um, there's some code lines to give them that separate instruction for preachers, when to do, what to do. Then the tenth offense is to be inattentive while chanting, meaning that uh, more and more as one learns about the holy name and as one even is uh, able to experience different realizations from chanting, if still one is not very attentive to chant, not very serious about chanting, then because it's kind of it's uh, neglecting a lot of special favors that Krishna has given that the holy name is given just due to being lazy or lethargic or, in general, it's it's an offensive mentality. That offense practically everyone is more or less guilty of, until one is completely uh, pure. So, in the beginning stage, so these are offenses, there's a difference between karma and offenses, because. an offense is directly related with Krishna. Just like, uh, well, anyway, I don't, can you understand the difference between offense and karma? That uh, just like, uh, say one of you go out and get a ticket for speeding. So as a result of that, you know, it causes a lot of problem. But it's not, like it, I mean, it's not going to destroy, generally speaking, the relationship between two people. It's just that, you know. Why did you do that? That was yeah, to suffer, but uh, because of getting the ticket yourself. But something directly, directly like uh, doing something which directly is uh, hurting a person. Hare Krishna, that's an offense. So karma is not directly related with Krishna. That goes on automatically. But the offense is service and offenses these things are directly related so that's why no matter whether a person has got very bad karma but if he that person does service to krishna that that service can just penetrate through all the karmas and can uplift the person so the only thing that could uh, stop that uh, service of krishna from acting is offenses which are the, uh, doing something directly which is which was uh, painful for Krishna so it's saying that uh, sometimes people say well it's dangerous then I better not to chant because I'm going to be committing offenses says that there's the three stages the offensive stage where we uh, reduce the offenses and one that's completely offenseless and that uh, because Krishna is so kind just like a small baby commits so many offenses to the parents maybe he yells at them or argues with there's so many things, but uh, already throw something on the floor. But because it's still better to be offensive, because at least there's a relation, like a baby and the child. If some relationship is there, and then that way, gradually from there, uh, one can uh, one can uh, come forward. It's better to be uh, chanting even if it's offensively than not to be chanting at all. Although. Better than that, then is to reduce the offenses, and then to come to offenseless chanting is almost impossible by our own endeavor. All we can do is come up to where we reduce the offenses, and from there to to achieve offenseless chanting, that means we already achieve complete realization of Krishna, and from that stage you can't fall down.
0: So that's that's the perfection of, of offenseless. Yes. So. What if one is chanting offenselessly but then he commits deity offence? Like if one sits with his back to the deity that's listed as an offence. I was just doing it myself. Of course I chant offensively, but suppose does that what is the weight of the deity offences in relation to the non macarat? How oh, complicated is yeah.
1: That's why the holy name is more merciful than the... Uh
0: and any other process. Yes. I I understand that we should just try to do whatever we can as so much as we can in Christmas Try to avoid the offences.
1: That's why I said better not better uh, not to read too many books. If you don't know about if you don't know about uh, an offence, even though it's an offence when you do it but you're not as uh, responsible. <laughs> not fully, but just like he's saying, well, sitting with the back to the Deity, but you're not with the back to the Deity, because that system is there that from Prabhupada to the Deity we keep one lying. And so we're all sitting, and basically, that we're sitting with our side to the Deity. That system is there. But then if one just reads that one, oh, back to the Deity, I wasn't facing the, you know. You
0: know.
1: So that way we just follow the instructions of the spiritual master. And then if we do that, then he's responsible. If there's any offense then he's responsible, as long as we're acting in the... Call of Duty. Just like in the army, if a soldier is told to do something and he does it, but he's not held responsible, whether it's right or wrong, it's just whoever gave the order is responsible. When is you gonna be? When is breakfast, son? Just after
0: half
1: evening everyone has service, you can end the class.